Welcome to the Buford Sermons Podcast, where we care about the things you care about. For more information or to donate to this ministry, please visit www.fbcbuford.org. Amen. If you could take your seats and open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 3 as we continue this series on Jesus is greater. This morning we'll be talking, Pastor Jerry will be talking about the fact that Jesus is greater than Moses and what the writer of Hebrews has to say here in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3, which reads like this. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. May the Lord add a blessing to all the hearers and doers of his word. There's a song written and performed by Ben Rector. Some of you may know who I'm talking about, and it's called Heroes. And the premise of the song is that when you're young, you idolize people, and there's a lot of folks in our lives when we're young that we just feel like they're perfect, right? Uh, many times it may be our, our parents uh, or, or other uh, adults that we just think, ah, oh, they're just amazing, they're just perfect. And we really, don't, we really don't think about the fact that they have faults. But as we get older, we begin to realize everybody's got faults, and so nobody is perfect. And the song's lyrics say this, I miss my old heroes, I had to give them all away. I miss my old heroes, how I wish they could have stayed. Because it turns out that the hardest part of growing up isn't getting old, it's learning how the real world goes. I miss my old heroes. So, you know, you could view that as a negative thing, but I think that's just a part of life, isn't it? It's just a part of growing up and realizing, hey, everybody has issues. If you're human, you're a sinful person. So we know that this is true. We all have people in our past that we saw as perfect who we now know clearly aren't. And in this case, this doesn't even necessarily mean that they're bad people, right? In some cases it does, but in some cases it doesn't mean that they're bad people. It's just as you get older, you begin to realize, wow, I did not know that they did that, and that's incredibly annoying, right? Everybody is flawed, and that's kind of the point of Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. The writer of Hebrews has already pointed out that Jesus is greater than the prophets in an earlier text. Then we learned a few weeks ago that he's greater than the angels. And today we're told that he's greater than Moses. And you might say, well, big whoop. So he's bigger, or bigger, he's greater than Moses. But you have to understand that in context, the name of the book is Hebrews. He was talking to Hebrews. He was talking to Jewish people. So to say that somebody, anybody, was greater than Moses was a huge deal. This was a huge problem for a lot of people. To the Jews, Moses was and is still regarded as the great hero of the faith. 
And while this is true, it's also true that Moses was an imperfect reflection of Christ. This is not a denigration of Moses, but it's rather a recognition of his humanity and his resulting imperfection. To say that Jesus is greater than Moses is not to belittle Moses, but to exalt the name of Christ. So I want us this morning to look at Jesus, the hero of humanity. And there are several things we see about Jesus in this passage, the first of which is that Jesus is the greater apostle. He's the greater apostle. In verse number two of this passage, or excuse me, verse number one, it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle. Now, for those of you who have been in church for any length of time or have been around church or opened the Bible or have heard preaching before, this may seem a little odd to us to call Jesus an apostle. Normally, we think of apostles as those who walked closely with Jesus, right? Like the apostle John or the apostle Peter or even the apostle Paul who says that he is an apostle as though one abnormally born because he didn't actually walk with Jesus while he was on the earth but Jesus appeared to him. So Paul as one abnormally born also is an apostle but really the word apostle merely means to be sent. It means one who has been sent by God. So the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, these are all men who walked with Jesus and were sent by God to proclaim the message of God. And in this context, Moses was also an apostle. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 9, we see him at the burning bush when God is calling him to go. He is sending him to go proclaim the message of freedom to the Egyptians to free his people. It says in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 9, now, the cry of Israel has reached me, talking about God, and I, God, have seen the way that the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So Moses was a great apostle, or you might call him a prophet, who God sent to deliver his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. This was a big deal. This was a huge calling. He was most certainly an apostle, but he was imperfect. We know from the scriptures, in fact, this very account in Exodus chapter 3, that he really resisted God. He really didn't want to do it. He's, he gave God these, these excuses. Well, how will people know? And, and, and I've got this speech impediment, right? He says, I, I don't speak very clearly. So I can't really be a spokesperson if I can't speak very clearly. And, and God actually, he kind of gives way to him to some extent because he allows uh, his brother Aaron uh, to actually be the spokesperson because Moses was so insecure about his speech impediment. Then we know that Moses was prone to anger. You may remember or recall the, the story of how Moses got angry in the desert at the people, and instead of doing what God told him to do, which was speak to the rock, he hit the rock out of anger. He was an angry person at times, as we all can be. Now, does this mean that Moses was a horrible person? No, of course not. God used Moses in incredible ways, but a person, nonetheless, he was. So, 
We know from the scriptures that Moses was an imperfect person. He disobeyed God in the wilderness, and because of that, God did not allow him to actually be the one to lead the people into the promised land. And yet, verse 5 calls Moses a faithful servant in all God's house. So how do we reconcile these things? Moses was called by God. Moses was faithful to God, yet he was imperfect. And the writer of Hebrews is pointing out to us that we should not idolize Moses. What does it mean? It means that when, we come to, when it comes to earthly leaders, we should honor them, but not idolize them. The Bible calls us to honor our leaders, both in the church and in the public square. But he does not call us to idolize those leaders. Listen, when you honor your leaders, you exemplify biblical submission to authority. But when you idolize your leaders, you create an unhealthy pedestal from which every leader will fall. There's a difference between honoring and idolizing. Now, we're seeing a lot more instances in, our, in the newspapers and whatnot of supposed men of God that are falling from grace, right? We, we've seen this over and over again. And it doesn't matter the denomination and it doesn't matter the sect of Christianity. None of that matters. We're seeing men of God fall from grace and disqualify themselves from the ministry. We're seeing it over and over and over again. It's a horrible stain on the church of Jesus Christ. And we can't get around that. It is a horrible stain on the church of Jesus Christ. But here's what I want you to understand. There are countless people turning their backs on Christ because of the acts of unfaithful men. And why is that? It's because these folks are idolizing that leader. They're tying their faith in Christ to the faithfulness of a man. And that will never work. That will never suffice. Here's what's happening. Sinful people are idolizing other sinful people, and then they're surprised when those sinful people sin. Those leaders who have become stumbling blocks to others, make no mistake about it, they will answer to God for their sin. But if we turn our backs on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, because of somebody else's sin, we will answer for that. Church hurt is a real thing, but place that hurt at the feet of those to whom it belongs, not at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is the greater apostle. Now, am I saying that every leader and pastor will have some major moral failure that will qualify them for ministry? Well, obviously I'm not saying that. I sure hope that in about 40 years, I'm able to look off the back of my yacht and look back. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's highly unlikely. Unless one of y'all wants to give me one, in which case, I'll take it. I get I certainly hope that in 40 years or so, I'm able to look back over my ministry and by God's grace, I pray that I will have not disqualified from my, myself from ministry 
and that I can say what Paul said to Timothy, that I've fought the good fight and I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. I pray to be able to say that, and there are many, many, many uh, people of God who have been able to say that throughout the years. So I'm not saying that everybody is going to fall from grace, but I do want you to know that the only thing that pedestals are good for is falling. And when pastors or other leaders start showing that the desire of their heart is no longer to simply serve Christ in humility, but to be on a pedestal. That's the very moment that you ought to either run from that person's leadership or you ought to approach them for the purpose of repentance and reconciliation. Every leader will sin. They may not disqualify themselves biblically. They may not do anything that is... um, causes an uproar in the church. They may not destroy somebody's life, but every leader will sin, and every leader's going to do things that you don't think should be done or should be done differently. Every leader will disappoint you. And whether it's your spouse or church leadership or political leadership, hello, if you idolize that person and put them on a pedestal such that you expect them to usher in your peace and joy you're going to be disappointed every time. And that's not necessarily, let me emphasize, it's not necessarily because they're bad people. And it's not necessarily because they're even being disobedient to Christ. It's just simply because people will disappoint you. I wrote a personal mission statement years ago, and it hangs on a post-it note in my office above my computer. And it says this, that my personal mission is to inspire people to love and live the Word of God. I have it written there to remind me that my personal mission is not to inspire people to think I'm awesome. That's not my mission. And the day it becomes my mission is the day I become completely ineffective. I cannot live my life and base my ministry on what other people think about me. If I base my ministry, if I base my preaching and teaching based on how I think people are going to react to it, then I will never give you the truth that you need. And I will never experience the truth for myself. It isn't about whether or not you think I'm awesome. Though if you want to think that, I'm okay with it. But at the end of the day, my ministry cannot be based on what other people want or what other people think, but upon the Word of God. And the moment I start basing my significance and my ministry on whether or not people accept me, like me, support me, think I'm awesome at preaching, or think I'm awesome at singing, or think I'm awesome at all these other things, the moment that becomes the basis of my ministry, I might as well quit, because I am good for nothing. The only thing good in me is because of Christ. And by the way, I'm saying a lot about myself here, but do you know that you have a ministry too? You have a ministry too. And the church is for you, but it isn't about you. And the moment you start making your church attendance and your relationship with Christ and your love for other people, the moment you start putting yourself first, and saying, well, I don't like that church anymore because they didn't do what I wanted, the way I wanted it, how I wanted it. The moment you start doing that, you're putting yourself on a pedestal. And the scriptures command us to put others before ourselves. 
Nobody. Let me put it this way. You can stand on a stage, but you can't stand on a pedestal. Nobody can be elevated above other believers without falling. So you might say, well, Jared, I, I really don't need this message. I'm glad you're preaching this today because I'm, I'm good with this. Because let me promise you something. I don't idolize you, Jared. That's great. I don't idolize Stephen. That's great. So I'm not even really tempted to do that. That's great. But you know, there are multiple ways. There's two ways in which that this idea or this, this thought can kind of manifest itself in our lives. There's the overt way, which is what we just talked about. It's purposefully elevating other people to the position of God in your life. You begin to idolize people. But the other way this kind of works itself out is functionally. And here's what that looks like. If the only Bible you ever get is from this stage... If the only Bible you ever get is from this stage, then you are idolizing my interpretation or Stephen's interpretation above the work of the Holy Spirit in your own heart and life. You will never be the follower of Christ that God has intended for you to be if the only Bible you get is from this stage. Because your walk is not about me. And your Christian walk is not about Stephen or anybody else that may speak from this stage. The Holy Spirit of God, when you put your faith in Christ, takes residence in your heart just like he takes residence in my heart. You've got the same Holy Spirit in you that I have in me. And I may have a different role in the body of Christ, but my role is not any more important than anybody else's role in this body. I have a specific role, and that is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That is to equip you, to help you see things maybe you've never seen before. To to open God's word and illuminate the mysteries of the text to you. But this should not be the only Bible that you get. And if this is the only Bible that you get, or if for your kids the only Bible they ever get is in kids worship or at Quest, then you are elevating, you're putting on a pedestal my interpretation of Scripture. Now listen, I am accountable to you for my interpretation of Scripture. And I'm accountable to Christ for my interpretation of Scripture. I'm held to a higher standard. I'm to be above reproach. There is a great heavy burden placed on my interpretation of this Scripture. I am called to be faithful to it, but it should not be the only way that you interact with the text and if it is then you are elevating me or Stephen above the work of the Holy Spirit in your life you don't want to do that you don't want to do that because we're just people and we make mistakes and believe it or not we even sin I know that's hard to believe but we do sometimes The point is that the writer of Hebrews is making to these Jewish people is that Moses was a faithful leader. He was a great man. He was a man of God. And yet, he was still just a man. And if Moses can't be perfect, and if Paul can't be perfect, and if Peter can't be perfect, then you and I can't be perfect either. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Do you know that every person who's ever walked the face of the earth who was called to be an apostle had to say something like this, I am has sent me to you. 
God has sent me to you. In the name of the Lord, the word of the Lord says. Every other apostle has to preface what they say with that. I can never get up here and say, I say to you, I am telling you, very truly I say to you. I don't have that authority. The only thing I can say is, God says to you, based on his word, I have to appeal to another authority. Any other person, you, if you're sharing Christ, you have to appeal to the higher authority of God's word. Moses had to do that, but I want you to see what Jesus does. In John chapter 8, and verse 58, it says, Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus is the greater apostle because he need not appeal to anybody else for his authority. He is the authority. He is God in the flesh. So Moses was a great apostle and worthy of honor, but Jesus is the very one who sent Moses. He's the greater Moses. He's the greater apostle. But not only that, he's also the greater high priest. In verse number two, or excuse me, verse number one, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Now, the interesting thing about these two designations is they're, they're really opposites, apostle and high priest. And I thought nobody puts it better than the commentator David Allen he says, the two titles identify the two functions that Jesus fulfills. He represents God to humanity as apostle, and he represents humanity to God as high priest. Isn't that helpful? This was the function of the high priest, to represent the people with God. We talked several weeks ago about the function of the high priest and how the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, or the presence of God, once a year, and he would... Uh, he would give a sacrifice on behalf of the people. He was the people's representative with God. And he made that sacrifice on behalf of the people for their sin. He went into the presence of God to make a sacrifice. The high priest interceded for the people with God. He was their representative. Now, we may not think of Moses as a high priest because his brother Aaron was actually designated as the father of the priestly lineage. But we see in the scriptures that Moses did function in high priestly ways. It was Moses that went before God on behalf of the people on many occasions. It was Moses that in the presence of God, that was in the presence of God on Mount Sinai when he received the Ten Commandments. It was Moses that actually passed on the, the high priestly office to the next generation in Numbers chapter 20. Again, Moses was a faithful high priest, but he was still just a man. See, every other high priest made a sacrifice on behalf of the people. But Jesus Christ as high priest is the sacrifice. He doesn't just give a sacrifice. He is the sacrifice on behalf of the whole world. And therefore, he's the greater high priest. Not only that, he's also the greater servant. Look back at Hebrews chapter 3. It says, He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house. Remember that. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. 
But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. And this passage is a reference to Numbers chapter 12. And I want to show you what it says in Numbers chapter 12. It's an interesting story, and it's helpful to illuminate what we're talking about today. In Numbers chapter 12, there's a bit of sibling rivalry going on. Miriam, who is Moses' sister, and Aaron, Moses' brother, they are angry with Moses for a silly reason. And in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar, in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. There's your reference. Listen to this. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So in this passage, I thought it was important to show it to you and read it to you because I do not want you to get the idea that Hebrews chapter 3 is trying to say that Moses is not worthy of honor. Moses is worthy of honor. He's just not worthy of being idolized. In this narrative, we see Moses' siblings begin a typical rivalry. They become angry with him for a superfluous reason. He was walking with God. He was honoring God. He was humble. He was seeing God face to face for crying out loud. And yet they began to dishonor his leadership. They began to insult his leadership for a silly reason. He says incredible things about Moses. And he reprimands them for doing it. Moses is not just another prophet. He was God's chosen leader for that generation in that specific place and for a specific purpose. And therefore, he is worthy of honor and respect. This is the opposite issue of idolizing. It's backstabbing. It's insulting. It's being petty. It's being selfish. It's criticizing leadership just to criticize leadership. It's criticizing just because at that moment you don't have any love in your heart for that person who is leading. There's two sides of the spectrum with this idolizing. You have idolizing over here and insult over here and in the sweet spot is honor. When a person is leading their lives whether it's just leading their lives or whether it's leading a church or a business or whether they're a political leader and they're leading in that way, when a person is leading in humility and in faithfulness to God, in love for others, when they're leading in that way, when they are leading biblically, they're not worthy of, they're not worthy of us putting them on a pedestal, but they are worthy of honor. So we don't want to be on either side of this spectrum. We don't want to try to cut, cut the legs out from under our leaders just because we can. 
We don't want to try to hurt somebody who's being faithful to God. I'm not equating anybody here with Moses, all right? That's not what I'm doing. But there is a principle here that when somebody is seeking to live their lives and lead their family or lead the church or lead a group, any group of people in a godly and a biblical way, we better be careful not to cut their legs out from under them. That's very clear. We don't want to insult somebody who is leading in a godly fashion, but we also don't want to idolize somebody who is leading in a godly fashion because neither one is honoring to God. They are worthy of honor and respect, but no more honor and no more respect than anybody else in the body of Christ. We should honor one another. You know, it, it would fix the problem entirely if we would just honor, respect, and love one another the way that God's called us to do so. If we would just honor, respect, and love one another, if we would just assume the best about one another, if we would just be, as much as it depends on us, at peace with one another, as Paul says, then we wouldn't put anybody on a pedestal. And we wouldn't hurt somebody for a superfluous reason. We don't want to idolize or insult. We want to honor one another. And we want to honor our leaders who are leading with integrity. So the problem in Hebrews chapter 3 is not the same problem that we're seeing in Numbers chapter 12 about Moses. He says that Moses sees God face to face. Isn't that incredible? He sees the form of the Lord. This is wild stuff. And yet in John chapter 1 and verse 17... It says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Listen, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So here's the issue that we see that needs to be resolved so that we can understand the relationship between Moses and Jesus. Numbers chapter 12, God says that Moses sees him face to face. It's clear as day. He sees him face to face and he sees the form of the Lord. But John chapter 1 says that nobody except for Jesus has ever seen the Father. So what does that mean? Well, Colossians chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the person of the Godhead that can be seen. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the person of the Godhead that can be seen. Let me also read you Hebrews 11, verse 24. It says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Listen to this. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses lived thousands of years, a, a thousand, at least well over a thousand years before Jesus was even born. So how could he regard disgrace for the sake of Christ? How is that possible? It's because Moses saw Jesus face to face. If Jesus is the person in the Godhead that we can see, nobody's ever seen the Father, but we can see Jesus. That is the person in the Godhead we can see. 
then when it says Moses saw God face to face, what it means is he was staring the Messiah in the face. So I tell you that in order to share with you that Moses was not in confusion about his place. Moses was not setting up a kingdom for himself. Moses knew exactly what his mission was. And it says here in Numbers 12 that he was incredibly humble about it. It was only later generations that began to put him on a pedestal. And by the way, began to put the law on the pedestal as well. To say, I don't need faith. I just need to do this, 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 and this. But the only problem with that is we can never do this, 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 and this. Moses was keenly aware throughout his life and ministry that he was not building a kingdom for himself. He understood well that his work was not the final word of God on the subject of salvation. And he spoke directly with the one who would one day put on flesh, fulfill the law that nobody else could, and then become our ultimate sacrifice on the cross. Moses, this is good now, I, I'm just going to warn you. Moses was, the, was faithful in the house, but Jesus is faithful over the house because Jesus created the house. See, there's one more thing I want to ask you. What is the house? What is the house now? It says that Moses was faithful in the house. Well, we know what that meant. That meant the tabernacle. Moses was faithful in the tabernacle. It says that Jesus is faithful over the house. So what is the house now? Where does God's presence dwell? Moses built the tabernacle for God's presence. Then Solomon built the temple for God's presence. But because of the blood of Jesus, every believer now is the temple of God because we are where he dwells on this earth. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? That's why it's so important. I was talking with the students this morning. That's why it's so important that you're here. It's so important that you're here because we're a body. And when you're here, when we gather together, God's Spirit is in our midst. That's what this says. And you're a part of the body of Christ just like I'm a part of the body of Christ. And when, when you're not here, we're missing an ear or a toe or a hair follicle or maybe you're the zit. I don't know. But we're missing you. We're missing you. Because you're a part of the body of Christ. And we need you here. Because without you, we're incomplete. God's Spirit dwells in our midst because God's Spirit dwells in the heart of the believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So while Moses was a faithful servant of God in the tabernacle, Jesus is the faithful servant of God over us. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us because of his grace and mercy. So Jesus is the greater apostle. He represents God to us. He's the greater high priest because he represents us to God. And he's the greater servant because he's the king over God's people and over all creation. And so therefore, and after this I'm done, he is the greater pursuit. 
Hebrews 3, 5, and 6 says Moses was faithful in, in, uh, excuse me. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. And we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So what this is, this is the therefore. If Jesus is our greater apostle, greater high priest, and greater servant king, therefore we must hold firmly to him. Now this wording can be confusing. I'm going to quickly clear it up. It can be confusing because it sounds like it says, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. It kind of sounds like a works-based salvation right there, if we're not careful. Well, you, you're saved if you hold on to Jesus. You're saved if you're good enough and if you keep striving and if you keep working hard enough and if you keep clamoring and keep holding on, then you, you can be saved. That's not what it's saying. We need to understand what he's doing. What he's saying is, you're not saved as a result of holding firmly to him, but if you are saved, you will hold firmly to him. Anywhere in scripture that you see where it says, if uh, you know, a person is saved, if they endure to the end, or if they hold firmly to Christ, what that means is, people that are saved won't reject Christ. They will sin, they will uh, you know, maybe walk away for a time, but they will not blaspheme against God. They will not uh, reject the draw of the Holy Spirit. It, it's not possible for them. So a person that is saved will hold firmly to the end. And as First John says, if a person goes out from us, if a person rejects Christ, it's because they never had Christ. So it's not a works-based salvation. It's saying... If you're saved, you will hold firmly to the end. And if you're saved, you must pursue Jesus on a daily basis. Don't just trust what I... Go home. Read the Bible for yourself. I promise you, if you've trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God will illuminate the Scriptures to you in such a way that it will be more personal to you than what you hear from the stage. So if that's the case and we're supposed to pursue Jesus, then the question is, how do we do that? And it all goes back to verse number one. It says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. My favorite writer, C.S. Lewis, says this, Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. It goes along with Matthew 6, 33. But seek you first... To, I went King Jimmy on you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What does this mean? Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. What is all these things? Here's what it means. If you put Jesus first in your life, you'll have everything you need. Because whatever you have will be enough. When you put Jesus first in your life, you'll have everything you need because whatever you have will be enough. So I guess the main point of the sermon today is what is it that you're placing ahead of Christ in your life? For the Jews, it was Moses and trying to live by the, perfectly by the law. It may not be that for you, but 
Is it financial success or your pride or even good things like your family and friends? Anything we place in front of God in our lives is an idol. It's the very first commandment. Have no other gods before me. And yet that's the most tempting thing for us to do. And in the lives of these Jewish folks, elevating Moses above Christ was the temptation. And elevating the law above grace was the temptation. But for you... You need to search your heart this morning, and I need to search my heart this morning and say, God, what is it that I'm tempted to place in front of you in my life? Are you wondering why there's a distance between you and God? Are you wondering what it would be like to be close to him again? Or maybe you've never trusted in him as your Savior and Lord, and you'd like to know what it means to be close to him at all. You have to turn from your sin. Repent of your sin. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. And make him the singular pursuit of your life. And if you do that, it'll put everything in its proper place. You'll honor who you should honor, but you'll idolize the only one you must idolize. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that um, you have not placed the burden on men to be idols. And I'm so thankful for that. Because I could never live up to it, nor could anyone else. Lord, we're thankful that Jesus Christ is our ultimate sacrifice. He's the greater apostle. He's the greater high priest. He's the greater servant. And because of that, we should pursue him alone with our lives. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling this morning, that God, you would help them to return to you if that's necessary. Or Lord, for some who may not know you at all, never have put their faith in you, I pray that they would come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior this morning. Father, we pray that during this time of final response that you would help us to pursue you and to continue to do so as the week continues. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we go into this last time of worship? We hope that you have been blessed and challenged by this message. If you have questions, prayer requests, or want to know more about how to follow Jesus, please check us out at fbcbuford.org.